So it is a pleasure to be with you today, and as I was thinking together with my wife, it really has been a long time since we have been here uh, to the Stone Tower Church. In fact, I think, Leslie, you said you've been here for many, many years serving, and that's wonderful, and thank you for your help uh, in processing the preparation for, for me as well. But as we reflected, I think the last time I was here was the service for Pastor Phil Schultz, one of your pastors of yesteryear. And as I recall, he was still a young man. We lost him too early. But it's wonderful to be with you today and worship as we come together. And I want to ask you a question as we begin. And that is, have you ever been absorbed in a very... Um, intriguing book, and maybe they've had some different people that have been expressed there. They've had some kind of mystery along the way, and what's going to happen with this one or that one. And then somebody, unbeknownst to where you were in your book, talked about it and said, and here's how it ends. It kind of takes everything away, doesn't it, from the joy that you've had in, in reading a good book. I was at the library, oh, it must have been about a month ago. I, I go there and they have a rack of a lot of recent books that come in. And I like to go over and just peruse those and pick out some that are of interest to me. This particular day I was there and down maybe two-thirds on the rack, there were two books together. One was about the terrible experience of getting our troops and as many others out of Vietnam back in the, the mid-70s. And then the other, right next to it, was all about the withdrawal from the tragedy of Afghanistan. And those two appealed, number one, on the Saigon, Vietnam one, because I'd been there as a youth in my early teens when my parents were out in Singapore, based there in, as missionaries. And we traveled up through Vietnam at that time. And the thing that caught my attention as I opened the book and there was a map was right there in the northwestern corner, on the way from the center of the city out to the airport, was a hospital. And it said, the Seventh-day Adventist Hospital. And underneath it, military hospital, because the military had accessed and used that during those terrible years in the early late 60s, early 70s. But this book, like the one in Afghanistan, both talked about different people right from the very beginning with the one on Afghanistan was a gentleman by the name of Nizam. And he had come to the U.S. for training with the special forces so that he could work side by side with the troops that were over there during that 20-year war. But as the story unfolded and there were other names and so forth that came in, 
Again, it just made me realize, I hope this person made it. I hope this group made it. In Afghanistan, as you know, there was on August 26th, 21, a terrible bombing that took place. And that's where I had hoped for sure that these different individuals I'd been following through the book made it and weren't caught in that. And fortunately, those, including Nizam, had already made it out. But those that didn't died a tragic, tragic death. You know, what a contrast to those books and those stories of what we find in God's word. The end of the story, we know, don't we? You know, we're still facing challenging times in these, in these last days of verse history. There's a tremendous amount of suffering that's taking place, whether it be physical abuse, debilitating disease, social ostracism, and even persecution. Not so much yet that we experience, but certainly our fellow believers around the world in many places as Christians are suffering for their faith. But the storm clouds, I think, are gathering, aren't they? We recognize that uh, religious freedom is not going to last forever here in our nation. But it's good to know that, again, we, we know how the story is going to end. And it was this that Peter addressed as read in our scripture reading. And I'm going to kind of slow walk right now as we begin. I'm going to slow walk our text that was read so that we really grasp the words and the impact of what is there. You see, Peter was, was addressing Christians who had been persecuted, first of all, in Jerusalem by their fellow Jews who hadn't become Christian believers to the point that they had to leave their homeland and they were scattered all over the world. And Peter knew that they were discouraged, many of them. And so as he started out on that letter, in the letter of 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, after initial greeting, he then begins in verse 3 to praise God and to point us, to point them and to in turn today in our time, point us to how the story is going to end. The story of salvation that God initiated back through his heart of love and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, three in one, had a purpose to bring redemption to our world of sin. And so I call the text where it says we are drawn by the mercy of God. In fact, it says his abundant mercy. I am drawn here where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy. That's how he begins. And I appreciate the fact that, that mercy and God's grace really grow out of his heart of love. When you stop and think about it, God is merciful to us because he loves us deeply. 
I like to think of, of mercy as being like a searchlight. And that God, down through history, has been putting out that light in the, the world of darkness, of sin, and appealing through the power of the Holy Spirit for people to come to him and to be drawn to him and to be his people. One of the aspects of God's mercy, again, that has appreciated, I've appreciated is that uh, it is something that has led so many, once they recognize that God is a merciful God, not a vengeful God, that it can change their whole attitude in their life's experience. I don't know whether you are aware that there are, in the Cascade Range, the Three Sisters Mountains. We were visiting down there, oh, it was back many years ago now, we had an administrative retreat down in the Bend area. And one afternoon, a number of us went down south of Bend, and you may have seen that lava outcropping. There's a large area there where there's just lava that built up, and, and they have a, a national uh, visitor center there. And as we were there listening to some of the background, all of a sudden the guide turned around for him because he was facing us, but we were looking out there at the Cascade Range. And he said, did you know that those three sisters were once named Faith, Hope, and Charity? I never knew that. Been living in Oregon for you know, a good number of years already, and it was a revelation to me to know that, uh, that early on our, our pioneers, in fact, I did a little further research and saw where it was those who had come back in the mid-1840s, coming across, you know, to Oregon, and it was a Methodist mission group who got acquainted with those mountains. They were from Salem, and that's where they named them, Faith, Hope, and Charity. And so this is what God has provided through his mercy that we might be able to Again, from that foundation of our hope, be able then to be pointed to the character of our hope, knowing that at the foundation is God's love. There, the Apostle Paul says, the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, is love. And yet hope also has a very, very profound impact again, on how we are able to live with joy and peace, even through troubled times and experiences. So the character of our hope is that it is a living hope. From that mercy, we find that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. And the begotten us there has reference to the new birth experience. 
that we are born anew as we come in faith to Christ and in turn then are put in touch with a living Savior. I mentioned we lived out in Singapore for a number of years while my folks were in mission service. And I had opportunity there as a young, early teen at our academy to go down and see some of the services, practices, rituals that took place in other religions, one of which was Hinduism. Many Hindus live in Singapore, and they have each year an annual event, one you may have heard about called firewalking, where there's a large bed of coals and they come down to maybe a 25, 30 foot length by maybe 15 wide, where those who move into a kind of a trance will pick up their idols and in bare feet will go through that 20 to 30 feet. And out of that trance experience, you go, you can see them afterwards, there was no burning from those hot coals. These are some of the kinds of things that, that those who don't have the light that comes through Christian faith practice in order to appease their gods. And I saw that contrast, you know, from the way in which God invites us to worship, to trust him, to know that we have a God who is alive and, and not uh, looking or worshiping wooden images or other kinds of things, but rather being able to have a living Savior who walks with us day by day and encourages us through prayer and meditation. My wife and I have <clears throat> come to enjoy over recent months some of the, the musical groups who are able to share gospel songs that uh, have tremendous messages as well as wonderful tunes. And one of those groups, and you may have heard of them, enjoyed them too, is, is known as the Booth Brothers. There's the older brother, Ron, the younger brother, Michael, and then usually they have a third one, but not, a, not an actual brother, a Christian brother. And they are based out of Florida and just have wonderful Christian music that we, we enjoy. At the end of one of the DVDs that we have, the younger brother, Michael, tells of the experience of his wife, Vicky. She grew up in a Christian home. However, because she was born into a couple who were not married, and therefore she was born without the coupling of mum and dad, because he did not stay. Once Vicky's mother was pregnant, this young man, as happens too often, took off and left. And this made a tremendous mark on, on Vicky in her growing up years. She was so often depressed by virtue of not having a dad, not having that whole family that so many can enjoy. She was rejected. She took it as abandonment from him, which it was, because he never sought to have any contact with her, to get back in touch. He was literally gone. 
And so this experience came into her marriage. And uh, Michael, as he describes the story in such a beautiful way, said that it was such a problem because out of that depression would come a lot of anger. And even she didn't really know and recognize where it came from. And so they were encouraged to go to a counselor. And in so doing, they had an in-depth opportunity to talk things through and to see if there could be some way of helping Vicky overcome that rejection. They spent uh, two to three days, and they were long days, Michael says, eight to nine hours a day, just working things out and looking things over with the counselor's guidance. And when she got to really the heart of the issue, which was this experience of depression and anger and, and loss and rejection, she said, Vicki, I want you to think of things this way. She said, you know, there are some children, they have the opportunity to grow up in a home where it's like a rose in its beauty. And roses, for any of you who are gardeners, you know, they're ones that you anticipate and you, you have to do a lot of preparation, get things fertilized and and settled in, he said, that's what a home like those who are like roses are blessed to have. And they are able to, to thrive and to be encouraged and blessed by the tender care and nurture that they have. And she said, the counselor said, you know, I know you, you haven't had that experience, but she said, you're like the wildflower. She said, your planting is out there, among other wildflowers. But she said, I want you to know that God has been tending you. God has been looking after you. He has been nurturing and giving you what has been missing. Even though your loving mother did her best, you still carried that terrible rejection from a non-father. And so as she heard that, it enabled her to recognize that, yes, she didn't have that same opportunity that others do, but that God was present with her. He planted beauty in her that was still there in that wildflower and took care of her through the you know, the floods and the droughts and whatever else wildflowers have to do to survive. This is where she had a living relationship, you see, with a living Savior. And that, with her background, enabled her, when she came to study scriptures, to see now, she'd had kind of a, a sense in which a lot of people do that, you know, Jesus is the one who's loving and kind, but somehow God the Father is distant, and so through her experience, she didn't feel the closeness to God that she did to Jesus. But then she started studying more of Scripture and finding out Hebrews became one of her favorite letters in the Bible because there it talked about Jesus as representing the Father, Jesus showing us what the Father is like. And again, that 
The Father and Jesus are one, the Apostle John tells us, doesn't he? And so this lifted her out of that darkness and enabled her to enjoy uh, the balance now of her life as uh, they together have uh, experienced a lot of joy in music, traveling and sharing the gospel in that way. So we see the foundation of our hope is God's abundant mercy grounded in his love. The character of our hope is a living hope. But also now the power of our hope is the resurrection. Let's read the text one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul tells us, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, our faith would be in vain. There'd be no really um, opportunity to have a living Savior if he was locked in the grave. But it is the power of the resurrection that really is unique to Christianity. I mentioned Hinduism and their multiple gods. Buddhism, again, you see a lot of that in the Far East. Uh, Shintoism in Japan went there and there were just temples everywhere and these gates of entrance to the temples that you see all through the areas of Japan that I had the opportunity to visit with my folks. But in all of those, there is no sense of a living presence, a living God, because they don't have one who is able to be able to respond as God does to us in our prayers. You remember Billy Graham once, the evangelist was uh, approached by a skeptic wondering about the existence of God, and, and Billy Graham said, yes, no, I know God exists. I talked with him this morning. And that's the reality, isn't it, of having a God of, of life and of love and one who's present with us through all things. And from the power of the resurrection, we then come to that pivot point, the end of the story that, that um, the Apostle Peter was wanting people to have their hope bound in. And in a sense, it's the end of the story that we know how the world will end, but it's also the beginning of a new eternity, isn't it? Eternal life that we accept when we embrace Jesus in the kingdom of God's grace will become the kingdom of God's glory. And we'll be able there to move into what will become, again, the reward of our hope. Just before we get there, though, I'd like to read the words that uh, follow our scripture today because Peter was not glossing things over and saying, well, look, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep suffering and you'll make it or whatever. Here he was holding out the wonderful promise, the end of the story on this earth, the salvation story 
But he goes on in verses 6 to 9 and says, In this you greatly rejoice. That is in all of the, the promises that we have been reading here. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so in this waiting time, toward the end of Earth's history, and with all of the challenges and circumstances of sin and suffering that we, we experience, we nonetheless know that as long as God is with us through those things and we remain faithful to him, that we will deepen our trust in him and his word. So let us look then at the final section here in verses 4 and 5. That we are then, through the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, moved to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Aren't we blessed to have the inheritance that we do in Christ? You know, down through the Old Testament, we find that, that there is a lot of inheritance that is, that is promised to the children of Israel. And it was always attached, wasn't it, to land and ultimately to the promised land. For us, our inheritance is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. In fact, the children of Israel, they would say, the Lord is my hope. A very, very personal possession. The Lord is my hope. And so it is that we have, even as expressed here, a reservation in heaven being kept for us by the power of God. He sustains us. He, he draws us into deeper faith with him. And again, in these challenging times, we recognize that we need a courageous faith, don't we? We need a joyous faith that where others that we mingle with day by day, and they may face all kinds of issues and problems when they see us able still to have a, a smile on our face, to have a contentment, a sense of peace, even in the midst of the storm, then they will be blessed by our witness in him. I want today to close with another song that has been a blessing to us, sung by the Collingsworth family. If any of you, again, have enjoyed Christian music, this family has uh, been traveling all across North America over the last 20 years. Just, just a great, a wonderful Christian family out of 
out of um, Ohio. And the dad and the mum with their three children, sorry, four children, a son and three daughters, sing this wonderful gospel song called He Already Sees. And I just want to share the lyrics of this song with you today as we close on the theme of God's wonderful living hope in him. When the storm raged about them, the disciples were afraid, for the waves were high and the ship was tossed. They could not find their way. They awoke their master, saying, Lord, please save us now. He rebuked the winds and the seas grew calm, and they all wondered how. Then we have the chorus. It's uh, repeated several times. I'll share it just once. So capture the the real strength and the beauty of the chorus. God sees the storm from the other side. He knows the lessons learned. And just beyond the clouds, he sees clear skies. He speaks peace to the raging storm. When peace could not be found, he already sees the rainbow when we see only clouds. Next verse goes like this Like the men did not, sorry, like the men did on the sea, I have called on God in prayer when it seemed to me that all hope was gone. And in my deep despair, I remembered what the Lord said. When he calmed that troubled sea. And I know once more how he sees the storm, and peace floods over me. And when the storms of life come crashing in and trouble me, I can feel God's arms around me. And he whispers, Let it be, let it be.